Thank you for listening to Lone Star Community Radio. This program was broadcasted and recorded live from the LSCR studios in downtown Conroe, Texas. Lone Star Community Radio is supported by listeners like you. Donate and sponsor today. For more information on getting involved with Lone Star Community Radio, contact us at lscrstudios at gmail.com or visit us online at www.irlonestar.com. Hi, welcome to the Legal Connection Show. I'm Tony Collins, an attorney in Texas. Uh, the Legal Connection Show can be heard on FM 104.5 and FM 106.1 Tuesdays at noon. And if you miss the show, you can also catch us on Facebook, the Legal Connection Show, or you can also watch this show or listen to the show on IRLoneStar.com. They have all of the replays of the show. We're also on YouTube if you just Google the Legal Connection Show.com. Now, um, what we do is we uh, cover legal issues that are of interest to the community. And I say we, uh, my co host, Cheryl Jahani, is, hasn't been here for a while. She's still recuperating from a personal um, uh, issues that she's had uh, that. Um, that it just takes some time when you have um, problems that uh, you need to work through. But I talked to her daughter today, and she requested that we sort of demystify Roe versus Wade. And so that's what we're going to do today. Um, recently, there was, uh, you know, in the news that a uh, landmark opinion, Roe versus Wade, uh, was going to be overturned by the current Supreme Court 50 years later. And, um, you know, when I was uh, 10 or 11 is when this came out. And, of course, I didn't know anything about Roe versus Wade. It didn't make any – it wasn't something I was familiar with. Um, you know, I was in the fifth grade. The uh, During the period when this particular case went to court was when we had a conservative uh, president, President Nixon. He was very popular. I do recall that. And we were in the throes of the Vietnam War, and it was during sort of that Woodstock era where there's lots of hippies and stuff. And I think Saturday Night Live was just coming together, the National Lampoon, at National Harvard Lampoon, I think is what it was. Um, a lot of things were going on during that uh, sort of, uh, I guess, strifeful period, not that we don't have that now. But um, it's come to the forefront again because there was... Uh, uh, allegedly a, a leaked opinion that it would be overturned, and the majority opinion was written by um, Supreme Court Justice Alito, who is our Fifth Circuit judge, so um, out of uh, New Orleans. So uh, that was of interest to me, too. And so what I did was it was, you know, I was too young to really understand all the background of Roe versus Wade. Of course, I learned about it in law school. But I never read the opinion, and I thought it would be helpful for our listeners to actually make an, uh, an assessment on their own based on the actual case and uh, to determine whether or not it was uh, uh, based on the opinions that they, they used in the legal precedent if it was a bad decision. So um, that's what I did. I, was, I pulled together information on the original Roe versus Wade so that um, y'all can have hear it and not uh, just be hearing the name and then hearing uh, stuff on the news and not really understanding it. So, um, all right. So Roe versus Wade was a 1971 to 1973, and they put a, 
a hyphen, like it's a two-years-old landmark decision by the U.S. Supreme Court. It ruled that a state law that banned abortion was unconstitutional. And the 7-2 decision, so that's a majority, that's seven full Supreme Court justices out of nine, in a 7-2 decision had Chief Justice Warren Burger and six other justices vote for Jane Roe and Justices William Rehnquist and Byron White vote against it. In other words, uh, Jane Rowe, and we're going to hear a little bit more about her and that pseudonym that's used for her later, they decided that it was her right to have an abortion, all right, uh, and, and, and against state law. But we're going to get a little bit more into that because the case itself is very clear. Just you don't get to hear about the actual case um, until now. Uh, the, decision, the decision divided the United States and is still controversial 50 years later. People became divided into pro-life and pro-choice groups. Pro-life supporters argue that the unborn baby has the same right to life as other people, and the government should intervene to protect it. Pro-choice supporters believe that the unborn baby is not the same as a person, and the woman that's carrying the baby has the right to choose what she wants to do with her body and that the government should not intervene. Roe was limited by a later decision, Webster versus Reproductive Health Services in 1989 which allowed the regulation of abortion in some cases. Several states have considered laws of banning abortions altogether. In May 2022, that's right now, a leaked draft of the Supreme Court's decision to overrule Roe v. Wade was published. And it goes on to say that it was published by, let me see, I'm going to look at the footnote here. Uh, let me get to that over here. It says it was published by... Uh, well, of course, it doesn't give me where the footnote is on this, but we'll get to that. All right, the background. Um, the case began in 1970 when most of our listeners were either not old enough to care or were not alive uh, in Texas as a challenge against a law banning any kind of abortion unless the mother's life was in danger. A pregnant woman, a pregnant Texas woman, Norma McCorvey, alias Jane Roe. That's why it's called Roe. They didn't want to name her name at the time, and she later came out, and it was disclosed what her real name was. Norma McCorvey brought a lawsuit against Henry Wade, the Dallas County District Attorney, in a Texas federal court, claiming to be a single woman and pregnant. McCorvey wanted to terminate her pregnancy. She wanted it done safely by a doctor, but said that she could not afford to travel outside of Texas. She could not get a legal abortion in Texas because her life was not in danger. So there was a law in Texas that required that the only way you could have a legal abortion is if your life was in danger. And it seems to me that she could have lied about that, but she chose not to. She could, um, it says, her lawsuit claimed that Texas law violated her constitutional right to privacy, protected by the First, Fourth, Fifth, Ninth, and Fourteenth Amendments. Five amendments. Uh, and those are amendments to the Constitution from, I guess, 1889? I don't think the Fourteenth Amendment was sometime later. Roe added that she sued on behalf of herself and all other women in the same situation as she was. The case slowly made its way to the Supreme Court. Meanwhile, McCorvey had her baby and placed it up for adoption. So she didn't get the benefit of her own case. She actually had the baby. And, and you know, no harm, no foul. She had the baby and she gave it up for adoption. And I guess we're going to learn a little bit about what happened later historically to 
that baby that she had in 1970, who would now be 50 years old. Um, In the majority opinion, um, in a 70 decision, the court held that a woman's right to an abortion was protected by her right to privacy under the 14th Amendment. The decision allowed a woman to decide whether or not to have an abortion during the first trimester. The that affected laws of 46 states. And, you know, lots of laws have been passed, um, even now, that said that you can't even have an abortion in the first trimester. But this is pretty limited. You can have an abortion if you find out in time to be able to terminate the pregnancy within the first, I believe it's first trimester is 12 weeks. Uh, I may get my numbers wrong, but and we'll get a little bit more into that because I'll talk about it. Um, Justice Harry Blackman wrote the majority opinion. I'm not even sure if he's still alive. Uh, we acknowledge our awareness of the sensitive and emotional nature of the abortion controversy, of the vigorous opposing views, even among physicians, and of the deep, seemingly absolute convictions that the subject inspires. And he wrote this in 1973. And I, I just will add a footnote or a sidebar, not a footnote, that it's interesting that the woman was from Texas and Texas originated this case that's been so controversial and has been a landmark decision and still is since 19, um, about 72. All right, so the dissenting opinion was written by Justice Rehnquist, who disagreed with the majority for several reasons, and this is probably why the case is being overturned now, so these are important points. He first pointed out that there was no legitimate plaintiff in the case, which was a requirement to hear the case. A legitimate plaintiff would be a woman in her first trimester of pregnancy at some point while the case was being tried. McCorvey, also known as Jane Roe, did not fit that qualification, and so the ruling had no application to the case. Clearly, she had the baby in probably 1970, so by the time it went to the Supreme Court, or even the the federal district court, it wasn't ripe anymore for her. She wasn't a legitimate um, uh, plaintiff, which would be the way it would always work out if, because justice is slow. If you were, you know, it takes nine to 10 months, actually it's 10 months to, um, you know, to conceive and have a baby. So, uh, in this case, though, they heard it. The court recognized as the second point for, in the dissenting opinion, that a woman's, uh, a woman's right to an abortion under a general right to privacy from previous cases. However, he argued, Justice Rehnquist, a transaction such as this is hardly private in the ordinary uses of the word. The third uh, argument was the majority opinion was vague on the exact place of the right to privacy in the Constitution. Several amendments were mentioned, but none was specifically identified to contain the right to privacy. The word privacy is not found in the Constitution. Fourth, Additional problems include the court acting as a legislature in dividing pregnancy into three trimesters and outlining the permissible restrictions that states may make. He pointed out that 36 of the 37 states in 1868, when the 14th Amendment was passed, so it wasn't 1789, it was 1868, that's a pretty, 14th Amendment's pretty old, had laws against abortion. So as far back as 1868, that's what, well over 100 years ago, well, over 150 years ago, um, had laws against abortion, um, and it uh, and, and this included Texas. Uh, the only conclusion possible from this history is that the drafters did not, the drafters of the Constitution, did not intend to have the 14th Amendment, 
withdraw from the states the power to legislate with respect to this matter. So it's a Tenth Amendment issue because anything that's not given at the Tenth Amendment, and I'm paraphrasing here because it's only one sentence long, but any rights um, not specifically given to the federal government are with, uh, belong to the state. And so abortion rights are a state issue, as are many other rights. Now, um, the right to privacy interpretation is, is critical. It was critical back in 1972, and I believe it probably will be here in 2022. The basis for the right to privacy is a judicial interpretation that can be traced from an earlier case, Griswold versus Connecticut in 1965. It's only a few years before Roe versus Wade. In that landmark case, the Supreme Court ruled that a Connecticut law against the use of contraceptives violated the right to privacy as found in the Constitution. However, the right to privacy is not directly mentioned in the Constitution. The Supreme Court decided that the right to privacy is implied by several amendments. In 1923, the uh, court interpreted the liberty guarantee in the 14th Amendment as a broad right to privacy. So we're going to drop down from, you know, the Tenth Amendment rights. I mean, they're arguing all over the board. They're, they're basically torturing the law to get to a solution. And I will just say that without reading a little bit more of this uh, as another sidebar, that Justice Alito is um, a, a very good and astute Supreme Court justice. And so I expect, even though we have not seen the draft of this opinion yet, that it may very well just follow the letter of the law of the Constitution. Don't know that yet. Um, Justice William O. Douglas stated that the guarantees of the right to privacy had prenumbras, that's, uh, I think, believe Latin for implied rights, formed by emanations, that's also a, a long word for a flowing, uh, from those guarantees that help give them life and substance, the amendments. Okay, so the trimester concept. Um, in its decision in 1972, the court used the, th the three trimester framework of pregnancy. During the first trimester, an abortion was safer for the mother than, the ch than childbirth. The reasoning was that the decision whether to get an abortion at, the first, at this stage should be left up to the mother to decide. And that's how Roe versus Wade came about, that um, it's safe for the mother, it's not harmful to an unborn fetus. I guess they were trying to determine when life occurred, which none of us know, only God. Um, any law that interpreted with abortions, in any law interpreted, I'm sorry, any law that interfered with abortions in the first trimester would be presumed to be unconstitutional. During the second trimester, the laws could regulate abortion only to protect the health of the mother. During the third trimester, the unborn child was viable, and that means able to live on its own outside the mother's womb. Then laws could restrict or prohibit abortions unless it was necessary to preserve the mother's health. Uh, the doctrine stood until 1992 when parent, Planned Parenthood versus Casey had the court now base the legality of an abortion no longer on trimesters but on fetal viability. So back in 1972, the Supreme Court was actually making an assessment of when a child was viable in the womb. And they decided that it wasn't viable in the first trimester and wasn't viable in the second trimester. Uh, but they were making decisions based on the mother's health. So um, 
the overruling is the the next segment here, and this is uh, the, the the gist of what we're going to talk about today. After I actually read the opinion, so you can make your own decision. On May second, two thousand twenty-two, Politico, which is a uh, a, a political uh, newspaper that uh, I guess gets leaked information. It used to be the Washington Post and the um, New York Times and various other uh, legal, uh, not legal, but um, news uh, distributors, news agencies, uh, but now it's Politico. Politico was given a leaked initial draft, majority opinion written by Justice Samuel Alito, suggesting that the Supreme Court is and will overturn Roe and Casey um, in a pending final decision on Dobbs versus Jackson Women's Health Organization. So that's the case before the court right now. They are allegedly going to overturn the law that they made in 72 from. Um, The leak also renewed calls on the U.S. Senate to pass legislation already passed by the House of Representatives to codify the rights created by Roe before Dobbs, before the Dobbs decision is formally published. So uh, there's, in other words, there are many, um, uh, I don't want to say pundits, there are uh, lobbyists that are trying to quickly get the U.S. Senate while it's all Democratic in the Congress to go forward and have, so the legislature can uh, pass laws, and this would be federal, it's really a state law, so I don't know why they're going to federal, um, to uh, ensure that a woman has the right to get an abortion under the different state laws so that this Supreme Court ruling um, won't interfere with the state rights, and I guess here it would be the federal rights, and that they would have to go to court again um, for the Supreme Court to review it again um, to make this Dobbs versus Jackson Women's Health Organization um, not apply. So uh, now I looked everywhere for the leaked opinion, and when I tried to pull it up on Politico, um, I got references to it as opposed to the actual opinion, which I wanted to read. It will apparently be out soon enough. And I, just as another sidebar, I just filed a writ, uh, a petition for a writ of certiorari um, with the U.S. Supreme Court. And I wanted so badly to add at the last sentence, this is so much less controversial. Just go ahead and grant my 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 petition my my petition for this writ, so that I can we can get on with a law that you've already found in previous cases. Uh, is supported by your decision. So um, I didn't put that in there, though, because, um, you know, uh, I didn't want to taint my my own opinion that I just uh, uh, writ that I just petitioned, that it's right for a writ, um, to make it political, which the U.S. Supreme Court is highly political. At any rate, um, the original Roe versus Wade ruling was leaked, too. And this was um, NPR is what I'm reading through. It was an article that was written on May 3rd. And I thought that was kind of interesting that uh, politics never change even 50 years later. Um, it, the news site Politico sent shockwaves across the country on Monday night, which was, um, I guess, May 2nd, when it published what appears to be an initial draft majority opinion written by Justice Leo and reportedly circulated inside the court, suggesting that the U.S. Supreme Court intends to strike down Roe versus Wade. And again, I can't find it. I wish I could read the new opinion to you, but it's not out yet. And then, again, you can't rely upon things that are leaked because they may be changed and they may not be authentic. So I'll wait for the real decision to come out. 
Um, Chief Justice John Roberts confirmed the authenticity of the document in a statement on Tuesday morning, but says it does not represent the court's final position. He also ordered the Supreme Court Marshal to investigate the leak. Um, NPR legal affairs correspondent Nina Totenberg uh, told uh, Good Morning, uh, the morning edition of, I guess, the NPR, that it really smells like, looks like, and feels like the real thing this leaked opinion. Striking down Roe effectively would end federal protection for abortion rights, opening the door for states to ban or restrict access to the procedure. Um, And I'm going to read that again because it's even confusing to me. Striking down Roe, 1972 opinion that allows abortions uh, because they said it's constitutionally, it's unconstitutional to uh, to prohibit a woman from making the decision about her own body, um, would end federal protection for abortion rights, opening the doors for states to ban or restrict access to the procedure. So they're saying that uh, this effectively would um, allow states like Texas and Alabama and Louisiana to, um, to ban abortions. While such a ruling would have enormous consequences, legal experts and onlookers alike are also struck by how the draft opinion made its way into the public view in the first place. Leaks of any kind are rare in the Supreme Court, and Totenberg says that there hasn't been such a massive breach in modern history. She called it, well, of course, there was one, I guess, not in modern history. The last one that, that at least I'm aware of is one that occurred in 1972, this one. She called it a bomb at the court that it undermines everything that the body stands for Internally and institutionally, the Supreme Court is what she's referring to, including its members' trust in their law clerks and each other. Um, No fully formed draft opinion has been leaked to the press or outside the court, Totenberg says. Once or twice, there may have been leaks that say how how something's going to turn out or after the fact that somebody may have changed his or her mind. But this was a full-blown Pentagon Papers like Watergate-type compromise of the court's work. There were actually two Roe-related leaks. There have, been, there have indeed been leaks at the court before, albeit of a different scale. One of them actually was about the case at heart of today's converse, uh, conversation. In 1973, the original Roe decision was leaked to the press before the court had formally announced it. Jonathan Peters, a media law professor at the University of Georgia, noted in a Twitter thread that there was actually two Roe-related leaks in the 1970s. First, the Washington Post published a story about the court's internal deliberations, including a June 1972 memo from Justice Douglas to his colleagues that was mysteriously leaked. Remember, the Washington Post is the same group in 1972 that... that uncovered Watergate, which was the downfall of Nixon and prompted him to resign as opposed to being impeached. Seven months later, in 1972, uh, Time magazine published the final decision and vote details uh, just hours before the court was to do to announce it. The result was an early scoop and a delayed ruling, so Time really got the scoop on that. A Supreme Court clerk named Larry Hammond told the Time staffer reporter, David Beckwith, a law school acquaintance, that Roe, the Roe ruling, the Roe, easy for you to say, the Roe ruling was coming, according to a a lawyer and author, James Robinault, who detailed the incident in the Washington Post column on Monday. Hammond gave Beckwith, with 
the information on the background and was only to be reported once the opinion came down from the court. But the ruling was slightly delayed, and the week's magazine ended up hitting the newsstands a few hours too soon. Right. Uh, and so it was uh, published, you know, against what their agreement had been. Um, now, it, this is the, called the 22nd rule of the double cross. Then Chief Justice Warnberger was reportedly furious about the league, demanding a meeting with the Times editor to tell them off. He also sent a letter to the other justices demanding that the leaker be identified and punished and threatened to subject law clerks to lie detector tests if no one came forward, Robinault said. According to Peters, this was also the origin of Berger's 22nd rule, in which any law clerk caught talking to the reporter would be fired in and under a half minute. <laughs> huh. Oh, well. It says, uh, I wonder if they have that rule now. You would think uh, the press is pretty liberal, so they probably don't have that rule. In fact, they probably get a commentation now for leaks. Um, activists look forward to what could be the last anniversary for Roe. So Hammond offered his res resignation to his boss at time, Justice Lewis Powell. <laughs> I guess I didn't know that. Let's see, Hammond couldn't be the New York Times worker. Hammond was, let me go back, I don't want to say this out of, out of course here, uh, a Supreme Court clerk. So Hammond was a clerk for Justice Powell, and he handed his resignation. But Powell didn't accept it and instead called Berger to tell him that Hammond had been double-crossed um, and uh, writes Robinault, who interviewed Hammond for this, for one of his books published in 2015 about the political and cultural events of January 1973, which, of course, we've already discussed briefly, was in a very, um, if, if you think times are different now with COVID and China and Russia, 73 was in the midst of the Vietnam War and the Watergate um, uh, uh, issue and, uh, you know, Woodstock, and it was, uh, you know, how things, uh, things change and things remain the same as history repeats itself. Uh, anyway, Berger wasn't quick to forgive the magazine, but accepted Hammond's apology, let him stay on as Powell's clerk. He continued in that role for an additional term before the court, uh, leaving the court to join the Watergate Special Prosecution Force, <laughs> which happened right after that, so he didn't stay on for long. The story of Hammond's close, uh, close call became legend to other clerks in the court at the time and had been passed down as cautionary tale over time. Five decades later, the court is once again grappling with the initial leak about an unrelated, I'm sorry, unreleased ruling on matters concerning reproductive rights. Totenberg had predicted on Morning Edition uh, this week that the court would try internally to figure out who leaked the document, noting that while such a leak isn't a crime, it's a career ender for whoever may did the leak. Which I can see that because while we have a somewhat conservative court, we've got an extremely liberal uh, political climate and um, the press. So, um, and that being said, there was an article in the paper today uh, that was uh, quoting um, the Harris County attorney. Uh, uh, oh my gosh, what is her name? I can't remember. She's in, always in trouble for uh, newly elected, just out of law school, really didn't have any background, got elected as attorney. Uh, Hidalgo, uh, the Harris County attorney Hidalgo, had held a press conference saying that um, she believed that the leaked opinion is all wrong. They got the law wrong. It's really bad, you know. And and I printed it, and then I left it in my car. But uh, I'm going to let you make your decision on whether you think the law is wrong by reading you the original Roe versus Wade. 
and because it kind of puts it all in perspective. I gave you sort of a highlight, but this is going to tell you the legal premise for why Roe versus Wade was, I, I believe that it was um, legal gymnastics to get to this decision based on just a, you know, a uh, the constitutional, uh, five different constitutional amendments instead of just one, uh, and basing the ruling on the word, you know, the privacy of the individual when that's not even in the Constitution. But here you go. Um, all right. This is Roe versus Wade. It's a, a Supreme Court. It's Jane Roe, who we now know as McCorvey, versus Henry Wade, who was the Dallas District Attorney. Um, and it can be found under uh, the U.S. Supreme Court 410 U.S. 113. But it's easier to Wikipedia it, and you can just link to it. Um, it was decided, it was argued in December 13th, 1971, re-argued October 11th, 1972, so nearly a year later, and decided just a few months after that on January 22nd, 1973. A rehearing was denied in very short order a month later on February 26th, 1973. All right, so here's just the gist of it as they actually published in the opinion. A pregnant single woman, Roe, brought a class action challenging the constitutionality of the Texas criminal abortion law. So this is criminal law, uh, which, pros- which prescribe procuring or attempting an abortion except on medical advice for the purpose of saving the mother's life. So you would have to know what doctor and, have, and be able to have that doctor say that it was a medical emergency, which I don't believe would be all that difficult, to be honest with you, because, um, you know, you can get almost any doctor to write you a prescription to have a um, one of the the animals that, uh, what are they called, the um, support animals. If you get a doctor to write you a prescription or a note to an apartment complex or an airline, you can actually get a, a emotional support animal um, by on your pets, even if you really don't need one. Uh, but by saying that you've got post-traumatic cyst syndrome, or maybe you've got an eating disorder, or maybe you've got, um, you know, uh, you know, some sort of, uh, like, Amber Heard, um, and a, a marginal, or I forgot what they call it, marginal personality disorder. It's not called that. It's a, uh, you know, you could find any reason, but a doctor could give you notice, so you could give a notice to this. It says, licensed physician, Dr. Halford, who had two state abortion prosecutions pinned against him, was permitted to intervene. A childless married couple, the Doe's, they didn't discuss their name, um, the wife not being pregnant, separately attacked the laws, basing the alleged injury on the future possibilities of contraceptive failure, pregnancy, unpreparedness for parenthood, and impairment of the wife's health. So um, so I'm going to read that again because that was kind of important. A childless married couple, the Doe's, the wife not being pregnant, separately attacked the abortion laws, uh, the, the laws that did not allow abortion, basing the alleged, alleged injury, injury on the future possibilities of contraceptive failure, pregnancy, unpreparedness for parenthood, and impairment of the wife's health. So the, the does were pro-choice. A three-judge district court, which consolidated the actions, held that Roe, who's also, we know now, her real name is McCorvey, and Dr. Halford, who was supporting Roe in saying that abortions should be allowed, 
and members of their classes had standing to sue and presented justiciable controversies. Ruling that declaratory, though not injunctive, relief was warranted, the court declared abortion statutes void as vague and overly broad, infringing those plaintiffs' Ninth and Fourteenth Amendment rights. So they used the Ninth, not the state rights, which is kind of surprising. The Ninth and the Fourteenth Amendments, um, their constitutional rights were being violated by not allowing them to have an abortion. The court ruled that the Doe's complaint not justiciable. Huh, so I guess they decided that the, the, the lady that wasn't pregnant, that was just supportive, uh, the Doe family, uh, didn't have standing. Um, the appellants directly appealed to the court, that would be the district attorney of, the, um, of Dallas, appealed to the court on the injunctive rulings, and the appellate cross-appealed from the district court's grant of declaratory relief to the Roe and Halford, and they held. One, while um, uh, Section uh, 28 of the United States Code, I'm sorry, it's, it's, um, it's not the section, but it's the, uh, it's actually Section 1253. It's, um, oh gosh, how I forget this. It's the uh, Code 28 of the U.S. Code at Section 1253 authorizes no direct appeal to this court from the grant or denial of declaratory relief alone. Relief is, does, review is not, this is the way this word is really funny, review is not foreclosed when the case is properly before the court on appeal from a specific denial or injunctive relief and the arguments as to both injunctive and declaratory relief are necessarily identical. And, you know, I know this is written properly because they've got so many people that are going over these cases and crossing their the, the T's and dot in the I's, but that sure did read funny to me. Um, it says, two, Roe has standing to sue. The Does and Halliford do not. Contrary to the appellee's contention, the natural termination of Roe's pregnancy did not moot her suit. Litigation involving pregnancy, which is capable of repetition, yet evading review, is an exception to the usual federal rule that an actual controversy must exist at review stages and not simply when the action is initiated. So basically that was how they got around allowing Roe, who was no longer pregnant, in case to um, show that it was justiciable and that she had standing, even though she was no longer pregnant, uh, because it's going to happen over and over again. Um, the district court correctly refused injunctive, but erred in granting declaratory relief to Halford. So they correctly refused the injunctive relief, but erred in granting declaratory. So they're saying that Halford should have been heard, who alleged no federal protection right not assertable as a defense against the good faith state prosecutions pending against him. So the reason that they said that he um, could get declaratory judgment, which makes sense, is because he was being sued not to do abortions. So they let him go forward, too. So it was Roe and others in, uh, versus um Way the district attorney in this case. So it wasn't just Roe. She wasn't by herself. Um, the Doe's complaint, based on its own contingencies, any one or more of which may not occur, is too speculative to present an actual case or controversy. So um, what I just read you basically said, um, the woman who was pregnant that had her baby and gave it for adoption, she could be before the court because she had standing because it could happen again. So that was an exception to the rule that you had to have an actual pending controversy that needed to be relieved. The district court said that um, the doctor was being sued, and so 
he could also he also had standing because he had a right to um, defend or get declaratory relief saying that he didn't do anything wrong with these criminal laws. But they didn't let the Doe's, who were just, you know, Joe family that, you know, wanted to, you know, carry their flag and argue that this was unconstitutional because they didn't have a complaint. They just had an opinion. So the case went forward with the doctor and with the gal that um, had been pregnant. Now, state criminal abortion laws, like those involved here, that accept from criminality only a life-saving procedure on the mother's behalf without regard to the state of her pregnancy and other interests in, involved, they, this, the court is saying do violate the due process clause of the 14th Amendment, which protects against state action the right to privacy, including a woman's qualified right to terminate her pregnancy. Though the state cannot override that right, it has a legitimate interest in protecting both the, pre- the pregnant woman's health and the potentiality of human life, each of which interest grows and reaches a compelling point at various stages of the woman's approach to the term. So this is where they're, they're I think, creating uh, legal gymnastics because they're saying that they're protecting the woman's right and the potential life of the fetus, but they're dividing the fe- when they're making a, a godlike determination of when the fetus's life has viability. And I would think now, you know, in 2022, the Supreme Court would be in a better position to uh, to glean and, and be more on point on when life is more viable because our technology in, in medicine has evolved over 50 years to be able to make a better assessment of when a uh, child's life is viable. Just guessing here, but I'm thinking that maybe the direction they were going with this, the new case that uh, allegedly will overturn Roe. Um Okay, so it says that, um, in, in the actual opinion that I'm reading, that uh, for the state, for the stage prior to approximately the end of the first trimester, the abortion decision and its effectuation must be left to the medical judgment of the pregnant woman's attending physician. So they're going to completely allow a woman's physician, and that could be someone that does abortions at a medical clinic, determine whether or not um, the... Uh, whether or not in their medical judgment that the woman can end her uh, can can end her pregnancy and not hurt her own health um, for the stage subsequent to the first end of the trimester the state in promoting the interest and in health of the mother may if it chooses regulate the abortion procedure in ways that are reasonably related to the, to the maternal health so in row they're allowing the state to step in and rightfully so because the federal law doesn't have anything to do with this um, to uh, it, that it would not be unconstitutional for a state to make um, different laws on regulating abortions in the second trimester. So in this case, you might have had to go to a different state to get an abortion because even Roe didn't prevent that here, only the first trimester. And then um, the state may define the term physician to mean only a physician currently licensed by that state and may prescribe any abortion by a person who is not a physician as so defined. Um, so I'm going to read that again. The, the state may define the term physician as to, to mean only physician currently licensed in that particular state where the abortion is being um, uh, sought out. Uh, so if you needed abortion in Texas and state laws are very, uh, Texas laws are now very strong, uh, then the state could prescribe um, any abortion by a person who is not a physician. So the state would ha- be able to regulate that. Um, 
It is unnecessary to decide the injunctive release issue since the Texas authorities will doubtless fully recognize the state's ruling that Texas criminal abortion statutes are unconstitutional. And I'm going to read that again because that's kind of that's really important. It is unnecessary to decide the injunctive relief issue since the state authorities will doubtless fully recognize the court's ruling that Texas criminal abortion statutes are unconstitutional. Because they're saying that the way the law was written at that time, that um, prohibiting an abortion in the first trimester, uh, that the Supreme Court is telling, saying them, they're giving them the lay of the land. You cannot uh, overrule this law. All right. And so... Um, the, you know, this, this particular opinion goes on for, you know, pages and pages. It looks like it's about 50 pages long. And I've only got five more minutes, according to Station Manager Dick. But I will read a little bit more about it. I've given you the gist of the case, though. Um, it says, this federal appeal and its Georgia companion, Doe versus Bolton. And this was um, the reason it ended up as a federal appeal is because, um uh, Doe, who was McCarvey, and Dr. Halford were, had sued uh, in a class action, which is a federal type action, had sued a, a district attorney saying that the district attorney um, uh, had, that the, that representing the state, that, um, that the laws in Texas were unconstitutional, and that's the method of getting into the federal court. The federal court, uh, uh, brought it to the Supreme Court level because that's the next level of appeal. Well, actually, the next level of appeal is uh, the Fifth Circuit in Texas. Uh, so we're going to get down to that as far as the procedural reasons why this made it to the Supreme Court. Uh, the, fact, the Texas Federal Appeal and its uh, Georgia Companion present constitutional challenge to the state criminal abortion legislation. The Texas statutes under attack here are typical of those that have been in effect in many states for approximately a century. The Georgia statutes, in contrast, have a modern cast and are a legislative product that, to an extent at least, obviously reflects the influences of a recent attitudinal change in 1972 of advancing medical knowledge and techniques and of new thinking about an old issue. Now, remember, we're talking now, not about Roe, the one I'm reading to you right now, but we're talking about the same application, advancing medical knowledge and techniques of new 50 years later on an old issue. Uh, which may be why it was also overturned because we have m more medical knowledge now. Um, it, then the court in 72 said, we forthwith acknowledge our awareness of the sensitive and emotional nature of the abortion controversy, of the rigorous supposed abuse, even among physicians and of the deep, seemingly of absolute convictions that the substitute, that, that subject inspires. One's philosophy, one's experiences, one's exposure to the raw edges of human existence, one's religious training, one's attitudes toward life and family and their values, and the moral standards one establishes and seeks to observe are all likely to influence and to color one's thinking the conclusions about abortion. In addition, population growth, pollution, poverty, and racial overtones tend to complicate and not simplify the problem. Our task in 1972, of course, is to resolve the issue of constitutional measurement free of emotion and of predilection. We seemingly, I'm sorry, we seek earnestly to do this. And because we do, we have inquired into, in this opinion, place some emphasis upon medical and medical legal history and what that history reveals about man's attitudes toward the abortion procedure over the centuries. We bear in mind, too, Mr. Justice Holmes' admonish, admonition in his now vindicated dissent in Lochner v. New York, 
which he wrote in 1905. He was Supreme Court chief in 1905. The Constitution is made for people of fundamentally differing views, and the accident of our finding certain opinions natural and familiar or novel, and even shocking, ought not to conclude our judgment upon the question of whether statutes embodying them conflict with the Constitution of the United States. The Texas statutes that concern us here are the, te- the, the state Texas penal codes, and their articles 1191 versus 1194 and 1196. They may have been renumbered, though, so they're probably going to be different in the new opinion. Um, and these make it a crime to, pre- to procure an abortion as therein defined or attempt one, except with respect to an abortion procured or attempted by medical advice for the purpose of saving the life of a mother. Similar statutes are existence in the majority of the states. Texas first enacted a criminal abortion statute in 1854. Um, this was, and that's right after, right after we became a state in the United States. We became, Texas became a state in 1845. This, and then we had the Civil War, of course, in 1860s. So just kind of put this in perspective when this law was passed. Texas law. This was soon modified into language that has been remained substantially unchanged to the present time. The final article in each of these uh, complicated uh, compl- compil- compilations provided the same exception as does the present Article 1196 for an abortion by medical advice for the purpose of saving the life of the mother. Um, this goes on to say Jane Doe was a single woman who was residing in Dallas County. Texas instituted this federal action. Uh, so Jane Doe instituted this federal action in March of 1970 against the district attorney of that county. She sought a declaratory judgment that the Texas criminal abortion statutes were unconstitutional on their face and an injunction restraining the defendant from enforcing the statutes. In other words, the Texas could not uh, find that, these, that it was criminal for her to have an abortion. Roe alleged that she was unmarried and pregnant and that she was to terminate her pregnancy by an abortion performed by a competent licensed physician under safe clinical conditions and that she was unable to get a legal abortion in Texas because her life did not appear to be threatened by the continuation of her pregnancy. And she could not afford to travel to another jurisdiction in order to secure a legal abortion under safe conditions, which is a little bit odd because Dallas is up there right by Oklahoma and Arkansas. She claimed that Texas statutes were unconstitutionally vague and that they abridged her right to personal privacy protected by first four. 5th, 9th, and 14th Amendments, by an amendment to her complaint, um, wrote, purported to sue on behalf of herself and other women similarly situated. Um, and I know I'm probably about out of time, but I want to continue reading this case for y'all. But I'm going to say, without having read the leaked drafts, that that it has to turn on because Justice Alito is extremely fair-minded and very logical. It must turn on the new medical technology just guessing that uh, technology or the medical information that we have 50 years later to, um, uh, or it could turn on the, or, or maybe both, that privacy is not um, even uh, set out in the Constitution. And so maybe uh, it has been, uh, you know, interpreted differently. I kind of find that hard to believe because you'd have to have at least five of the justices that would have been a majority. He just wrote the opinion. I think it probably goes more toward medical technology now and determining whether or not uh, there's a viability to a fetus in the first trimester. And I believe that um, from what I've heard, there is viability because you can get a heartbeat. And we've got such new technology showing that a baby can survive 
even in the first trimester. So, um, but I'm not going to make that decision because I'm not a doctor. I don't know anything about it. I don't know what the what's been leaked. But we are going to continue this um, next week, where I'm actually going to read to you the opinion, so you can make the assessment on your own on whether or not. Uh, Roe v. Wade was constitutional and whether or not it, if it really is overturned, which apparently it, you know, these NPR and Politico and these different sources are saying that it was legitimate leak, just like it was in 1972, um, that it will give you a lot more clarity than I will certainly be able to um, on what the decision is, on what really is really going on with Roe v. versus Wade. So um, I'm being told to wrap up by Station Manager Dick. We are going to uh, finish reading that first row, and then maybe by the time this, the, the leaked opinion will be out, and we can discuss that in our next show. I will see you next time on uh, next Tuesday at noon. And remember, the most important thing you can do is serve God by serving others. We'll see you next week.